0: You have your Bibles, we're going to be in Genesis chapter 1 today. Should be relatively easy to find. If you uh, need a Bible, there's one, should be one around you somewhere under the seat in front of you or, or around you. If you do not own a Bible, uh, stop by the info desk on your way out this morning and we would love to put one in your, in your hands. Um, so, according to the internet, One of the more dangerous statements in the English vernacular, right? According to the internet, the average child asks about 100 questions per day. About 100 questions per day. Um, Many of you know I have four children. And so um, my wife, who is a stay-at-home mom, that means she fields about 400 questions a day. Um, And... And this, this part, uh, not according to the internet, just my own sort of anecdotal observations, I'm convinced that about half of those, you know, 100 questions a day are some variation of the question, why? Like, right? why? And then you give an answer, and the, the response is, well, why? Right? You just follow that. That's, that's just what kids do. They ask the question, why? And if you're a parent, that can be really redundant. You know, um, but also it might mean that children are brilliant, right? because um, several years ago there was a uh, a leadership guru, a author, um, kind of I uh, I don't want to say inspirational, influential uh, public speaker by the name of Simon Sinek, and I think I'm pronouncing that right. And uh, he he gave one of the um, most popular TED Talks in all of history. I don't know if you know what TED Talks are, but they're kind of these little brief 15, 20-minute uh, talks that people give that are kind of experts in their field. And uh, his the point of his TED Talk is uh, that, that the question why, answering that question, is the most important question you can answer when it comes to uh, influencing direction or sort of affecting change in uh, any sort of organization. Right? The, the question, why? Right? Why are we doing what we're doing? Why are we uh, making this change? Or, or, or Why are we going in this direction? Right? Why is this important? Why is that important? Right? This is a really significant question to ask, uh, specifically if you're uh, in any sort of position of leadership. In fact, he wrote a whole book that followed out of that. It was just called Start With Why. At right? the beginning of beginning of every sort of uh, conversation or, or, or direction or influence or leadership should start with the question, why? And so as we start a new series this morning, um, we're about actually less than one month away from Easter, right? we're going to just kind of ask this question, why Easter? Why Easter? That's the direction we'll follow over the next few weeks as we lead up to Easter Sunday. Now the the short answer is because as many of you know, especially if you grew up in church that the resurrection is like this is the crescendo of God's plan of redemption. Right? The resurrection of Jesus Christ is is kind of the the high point. Right? It's not the culmination that that comes whenever Jesus comes back uh, and takes us to be with him, but but the resurrection is like the high point, the crescendo of God's plan of redemption, it's, it's essential to the gospel message, the good news of Jesus Christ. The resurrection is central to that. And so, our plan for the next few weeks, leading up to, to Easter, is just to unpack that question. Why Easter? Right? And this morning, we're going to begin answering that question the same place that everything begins, that every story begins, and that's with God. So... If you have your Bibles open, Genesis 1, 1, really going to spend the bulk of our time, I think, sort of unpacking four words, okay? Um, we'll dance around to some other spots, but can we dance in a Baptist church? I said that out loud. Um, here we go. Starting in Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning, God. Pause. Right, four words into the Bible, you have maybe the most loaded, it's not even a full sentence, right? it's a clause. You have the most loaded clause in maybe all of Scripture. In the beginning, God. We think about what that, that means. One, it means there was, a, there was a beginning at some point. In other words, uh, things are not currently as they always were as you look around and see everything around you, whether it's in this room, outside of this room, uh, there was a, a point in time in which n- none of what currently exists existed. Right? And, and, and I, don't, I mean like there was nothing. Not like when you go to the fridge or the pantry and you're like, we don't have anything to eat. There's nothing here. Right? You, guys, you guys do that. You know you do. You open the refrigerator door and you're like, there's nothing to eat here. And there's plenty to eat there. Right? <laughs> When I say there was nothing, I mean there was, there was nothing. Right? There was a a time in time in the past when literally nothing existed. Like I, I don't even know like what words to use to describe that, other than just nothing, void, emptiness, nothing. But in that emptiness, that, that we probably can't fully wrap our heads around. In that emptiness, in that nothingness. There was someone. Right? That's the the fourth word. In the beginning, God. Before the beginning, God was there. In other words, in, in the beginning of everything, the beginning of everything that existed, God was already there, already on the scene before time began to be marked. Right? He... He predates or precedes the beginning, right if you want to make your brain hurt on a morning where you probably didn't get enough sleep last night, uh, God doesn't have a beginning let 's let that sink in for a minute. God, God doesn't have a beginning, right he, he has always existed, And so while all of this matter and substance and Everything in all of creation, uh, it had a finite beginning point. God does not. He always has been. Eternal. But then at at some point of his own volition, of his own will, he decided to get creative. That's the rest of the verse. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now think about this. God didn't have to create anything. Right? He was not bound by anyone to create anything. Right? He, uh, despite what, what you might have heard or read, God was not in need of companionship. God was not in need of, of praise. He's worthy of praise. He deserves praise. We should praise him. God did not speak creation into existence just because he was needy for some praise. Right? God is not dependent on, in, in any way, on anything, or anyone. That's what makes him God. Right? But out of his own volition, out of his own will, he speaks creation into existence by the power of his word. Right? Just, just talks, and it's there. Right? The, the things that weren't there, the things that didn't exist, minutes hours days before god speaks and it it just happens there was nothing god talks and then there's something and it's like that's the creation narrative that follows through Genesis 1 and 2 right, god speaks and what did not exist all of a sudden it exists light and dark moon and stars uh, land and sea the birds of the air, the beasts of the field, the creatures of the sea. Uh, and then you get to verse 26 in Genesis chapter 1, and you get the, the pinnacle of God's creation. It says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness. So God speaks creation into existence. And then he gives his, his pinnacle of creation, right? Man and woman created in his image. And then just a few verses later, or a couple of verses later, verse 28, he gives his first recorded command to his newfound creation. Verse 28 says, God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful, and multiply, and fill the earth, and subdue it. Right? He, he creates everything. Out of his own good pleasure. And then he appoints man as the, uh, the sort of the manager steward of his creation. And then he says, All of this is very good. And then God rests. And that's essentially what happens in, in Genesis 1. An amazing story, right? But what do we do with it? What do we? What does that have to do with Easter? It's a good starting question, right? And uh, I'm glad you asked because uh, that's the direction we're going this morning, right? Here's here's my one my one point. I got one big idea that's going to kind of determine the rest that we talk about this morning. But if you don't catch anything else, uh, if you catch up on that hour of sleep that you lost last night over the next few minutes, uh, here's what I want you to not miss, right? the starting point for, for any conversation about God's plan of redemption, the starting point for any conversation about the gospel, the starting point for why Easter is this, that as the creator of everything, God is the ultimate authority over everything and everyone. Amen. Period. Amen. That's the point. All right? If you don't catch anything else, you've got that. Right, but... Preacher's going to preach, so we're going to move on, all right? Here we go. Spend the rest of our time sort of just pressing into that this morning, that, that God is the ultimate authority over everything and everyone, and right? that he rightfully holds all authority. So here's first implication this morning. Right? First implication of that is, one, because God is the creator, because he, he has all authority, God is accountable to no one other than himself. Right Now, here, this is kind of the point behind Paul's words in Romans 11. Uh, you, you don't have to turn there. You can. Romans 11, verse 33. Here's what Paul says. Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable... Are his ways? For who has known the mind of the Lord, or who has been his counselor, or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? Paul's kind of the gist of Paul's point there is this: God owes no man anything. Right? God owes no man anything. When God was speaking creation into existence by his word. Like he, he just wasn't concerned about future critiques or opinions of his creation. He said, this is what it is because I am the ultimate authority. So he speaks it into existence and is not concerned about what some finite human beings might think about it some years down the road. right? He like it, there's, there's no... There's no unrecorded holy huddle in the creation narrative where, where God is like, you pulls together God the God the Father pulls together God the Son and God the Spirit on a conference call during Genesis one. He's like, hey guys, listen. Um. So I know we're doing the whole creation thing. We're setting things in order. We're establishing boundaries, right? Physical boundaries, moral boundaries. We're, we're creating the world. Listen, and just just so we're all clear in a few thousand years there's going to be some people that are they're going to be highly opinionated right they're going to be a little high maintenance especially the ones born like from the early 80s to the mid 90s called millennials I say that because I am one, okay? I'm not tr- I don't want any millennials catching strays this morning. I'm just making fun of my own people, okay? He doesn't say, like, hey, listen, they're gonna come, they're gonna they're gonna have some thoughts about the way you've designed things and the way you've created things. Um, and so I'm just just saying, like, maybe maybe we should consider the way that they'll feel before we sort of you know finish the week out and take a day of rest. Like that didn't happen. Right? When God created the world and spoke it into existence. There wasn't a focus group where everybody got to give their opinions and thoughts about how this thing should happen. No, God, as the authority, spoke it into existence, and that's what it was. Amen. Right, and, and He doesn't answer to anyone. Right? With, with all due respect, God is not a respecter of persons. Right now, some of those words that Paul quoted earlier in Romans eleven there. They're really kind of derived from a few places in Scripture, but one of those is from the book of Job. I don't know if you know the story of Job, the book of Job. I'm currently reading through Job in my uh, daily Bible reading plan. I should be through it already, but I'm a few days behind. Um, it's, been, it's been a week, guys, right? It's been a week. Um, but but in, if you don't know the story of Job, here's the general outline. I uh, mean, Job has got it going on. Right? Job's got everything that, that a man could want. Uh, he's got, by all accounts, a, a great family. He's wealthy. He's got possessions. He's got health. He loves God. And then one day Satan, the book of Job begins with, with Satan coming to God and saying, like, Hey, you know the only reason that Job loves you and praises you and worships you is because you've been so good to him. He's got all this stuff. He's got, he's got a family. He's got wealth. He's got possessions. He's got health. That's why he praises you, not because of who you are, but because of what you give. And basically God allows Satan, that's an important word, even Satan under God's authority, God allows Satan to strip everything from Job outside of his life. Dude loses his his family, his home, his wealth, his possessions, his his health. Loses it all. Right? Right? Loses it all. And although he never turned his back on God, he he had some questions. Right? There were some things he didn't fully understand. As you you can understand that. Right? He, Job had some questions for God. And so the book of Job, like 30-some chapters, is just Job back and forth with these friends. And they're just kind of going back and forth, like, what is, what is God doing? Why is he doing this? Why do you allow this to happen? What does this mean? And then God's really patient for a long time until you get to chapter 38. And then God's like, Job, we're gonna we need to have a conversation. So I imagine uh, imagine God's sort of pulling up a chair and he's like, Job, go ahead and have a seat. You're gonna need to sit down for this. Um, listen, I I know I know you've got questions. I know you've got concerns, I know you don't have full understanding, uh, but but I I, I, don't, I know you don't know why I would allow these things to happen, I, I, I get that, but Job, here's the deal. Let me, let's start our chat, actually, with a question. Um, where were you when I laid the foundations of the world? Now, how are you going to answer that, right? Right? God's just like, hey, wh- where were you when I was speaking creation into existence? Oh, that's right, you, you, you actually weren't there, were you? And the point to, to God's open-ended question to Job is that God does what he wants to do, when he wants to do it, how he wants to do it, and he doesn't have to answer to anyone. That's what makes him God. God is the ultimate authority, right? And if he's the ultimate authority, he isn't accountable to anyone. And if God's not accountable to anyone, then that brings us to the second implication of this. That everyone and everything is accountable to God. Despite all our talk about rights and freedoms and liberties, we are not as free as we would like to think we are. We are created. We are created. And because of that, we are owned by and accountable to the creator. Every one of us. We'll explore some of this more fully next week. I gotta like exercise some restraint so I don't preach next week's sermon this morning. <laughs> okay, um, so we'll explore this a little more fully. But but I do want to briefly point you to Romans chapter one again. You can write it down, look at it later if you need to. This is what Paul says in Romans one, verse eighteen. He says, "For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven." Against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. So what is it that gives God the, the right, the power, the authority to sort of respond in wrath towards those who deny, ignore, reject, and suppress the truth? What what, what is it that gives God the, the right to do that? It's his authority over all of creation. Right? He spoke it into existence, which means it's his, all of it, including you and including me. And if it's his, and it is, then all of creation, including you, including me, answer to him. Right, we answer to him. When God speaks, when God commands, when God establishes uh, boundaries, moral boundaries for his creation, all of creation is accountable to that. Right? And, and there are no exceptions. Right? Whether, you, whether you believe there is a God or you don't believe there is a God, you're still accountable to God. Every one of us but how often we forget that or maybe it's more honest to say how often we just choose to ignore it sometimes right and so rather to rather than than submitting to God right rather than uh, rather than submitting to um, his his plan his boundaries rather than submitting to God and who he is what happens is <clears throat> excuse me what happens is we sort of create in our uh, minds this this some idea of of who god is right it's a it's a subtle attempt to sort of recreate god in in our own image right rather than rather than existing as men who are created in the image of god we we kind of create god in our image to, to sort of alleviate any sort of accountability to him. Right? We create a God who, who acts like I do, who thinks like I do, who feels like I do, who responds in the same way that I do. Because let's be honest, it's not hard to be accountable to a God who's just like you. Right? A God that agrees with you all the time. That's not a hard person to be accountable to. But when we do that, when we recreate God in our own image, what we're actually doing is is domesticating God. We're, we're trying to take the lion of the universe and turn him into a house cat, right? A, a God that we can we can manage. We strip him of of his authority, we strip him of his power, we strip him of his mystery, right? trying to create this, this little g God that, that we can manage. But a God that you can manage, a God that never confronts you, a God that never challenges you, uh, a God that you can fully understand and, and wrap your head around, is not the God of the Bible. Right, the God of the Bible is the ultimate Authority Over everything, over everyone, over all of his creation. He is the ultimate authority. And we're all accountable to him. And so the only appropriate response, we talk about right, the, the point of a sermon is that we should respond to what we've heard. Right, I'm, I'm giving you like the response, the application right here on a platter. Right? Here's the response to this God. The only appropriate response to this God is to recognize and submit. There, there are no other options. To recognize and submit. We recognize God for who He is. The rightful ruler of all things. All right, this is what, if your kids are in our kids' ministry, uh, this is one of the things that they've been learning over the last few weeks. Uh, they've got this sort of little breakdown of the gospel on a, on a little sheet, half, half-page sheet. And the first one on there, the first, the first item on understanding the gospel is, is one that God rules. Right, he rules. He rules. And that's not like Wayne's world, like, yeah, God rules. No, it's like God rules, like he has authority. That was not in my notes. That was free. Sorry. <laughs> right, it's, it's that he has authority. God rules. We recognize him for who he is, the rightful ruler of all things. And as the ruler of all things, we recognize that he determines what is good and what is right and what is true. He calls the shots. He gives the orders. And our response is to submit. To submit, to acknowledge, to know that we are ultimately accountable to Him. The the all-knowing, all-powerful, always-present, sovereign creator, of the universe, we are accountable to him, and, and nothing falls outside of his knowledge. like there, there's, there's just nothing that God's unaware of ever. And every single one of us will be held accountable to him, the creator of the universe. And so what, is, what does submission look like to you this morning? to kind of take that application question and maybe maybe drive it home a little more, uh, kind of drive it a little deeper, is what does submission look like for you this morning? If there's a God in heaven who spoke everything into existence, He's the creator of the world, and because He's the creator of the world, He's the authority of everything, and because He's the authority of everything, we are accountable to Him, and we submit to Him, what does submission look like to you? Maybe, I don't know where you are this morning, but maybe you need to submit to Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. All right, that's the first, most important act of submission. Right, agreeing that you are a sinner in need of a Savior. Maybe your act of submission this morning needs to be to confess with your mouth to believe in your heart that Jesus is lived the perfect life, died to pay the penalty for your sin, and rose from the grave. And you just submit to him as Lord and Savior of your life. And that's the most important, the first, the initial act of submission for you this morning, if you've never done that. Would love to have that conversation with you this morning, either during our response time here in just a moment or, or after service is over. Would love to talk to you about what that means. Okay, but, but maybe you're here and, and you've done that. You're like, I've, I've done that. I know that. Here's what submission looks like for all of us to some degree. Right? It's living in obedience to His Word. Right? Are, there, are there areas of your life in which you are knowingly not living in submission to Him? Right? Not living in obedience to His good design not living in obedience to his perfect commands not living in obedience to his his moral boundaries for you because right? i just want to love you enough to tell you that that you will be held accountable to him i mean you can you can fool your pastor like pretty easily actually <laughs> my kids do it all the time you can fool your pastor you can fool your spouse. You can fool the people sitting around you. You cannot fool the God of heaven. And you will answer to him. And so where where in your life are you not living in obedience to his good design for you? And if you think of that area this morning, the response is repentance. Turning from your sin acknowledging that His way is good and right, and and turning back to Him. And here's the good news. Here's the really good news. The God of the Bible who, who created you, who spoke you into existence, who is the authority over all things, who you are accountable to, is the same God that extends grace and mercy and forgiveness when we confess and repent. When we turn from our rebellion to him, he meets us with grace and kindness. Right? We're, we're not talking about some sort of like abusive tyrant. When We talk about God having authority. Right? Y- yeah, he has all authority. He is all knowing. He has all power. And yet he has he's he's and he's full of grace. He's full of goodness. He's full of mercy. And he willingly gives it to all who would ask. But you got to ask. You got to, you got to acknowledge that you need it, and you come to him, and he, and he meets you there. All right, So, here's what I want to kind of close with this morning. But before we close, maybe all this feels like a little heavy-handed to you because, let's be honest, we live in a time in which like nobody really likes authority, right? Nobody really likes to feel like there's some authority over us that we have to answer to. That's not a very popular thing these days. Um, Does it really matter? Because there is one, right? And we've all got to answer to him. But I would say it's, it's a good thing if this feels heavy. It should feel heavy. It's a good thing if this feels heavy to us this morning. It's good for us to feel the weight and the significance of God's authority. Because right? I, I don't think, if we don't feel the weight and significance of it, we're not going to respond to it. This is not a thing to be taken like flippant or, or lightly. Right? But, but here's what I want to lead you through this morning before we close. I do want to point out that submission to God as the creator, as the ultimate authority, is always, always, always good submission. Like like I like I just said, we're not submitting to some angry or abusive tyrant. Right? We we just sing about the goodness of God. That's who we're submitting to. It's not a burden to submit to Him. Right? It's God's not a restrictive God. We'll talk more about that next week. Again, I gotta I gotta restrain myself here. Right? We're not submitting to a, to a restrictive God. We're submitting to a God who is. Holy and righteous and good and just. We're submitting to a God who sent his only son. Willingly sent his only son. To fully absorb his wrath towards you. So that he might reconcile you into himself. How would you not want to submit to that God? Why would you not want to submit to him? He is only ever always good. Right? And submitting to him always leads to, to his glory first and foremost, but it always leads to your good. Always. right? right, let's pray. Father, we come to you this morning, um, and we just want to acknowledge you are Creator. You are sovereign. You are are Lord. You are the authority, the ultimate authority over all things. Everyone, everything. Father, we, we all fall in line under you. So Father, would you reveal to us this morning where we are not actively living in submission to you? Lord, if there's some here this morning that have never trusted in Jesus as Savior, they never submitted to your gift of salvation through faith in Jesus, I pray that you would reveal that to them this morning. Lord, would you bring a would you just bring, Lord, an, an unsettledness to their spirit? And then Father, for many of us in this room, would you reveal to us where we are not living in submission to your word? Where there might be areas in our life where, where we are not submitting to your good, right, perfect boundaries for our lives, or maybe in our in our homes, in our in our marriages, in our relationships with our children, in our our business dealings. Maybe I I don't, I don't know where we all stand here this morning, Lord, but I, I just. I know because we're human and we're sinful and we're broken, I know there's areas in our hearts and lives that are not submitted to you. So would you reveal those things to us this morning, Lord? That we might repent. That we might, might turn from our sin and turn to you. And then, Father, would you remind us that as, as we do that and as you, as you bring these things to mind, would you remind us of your goodness, would you remind us that it is a it is a good thing to submit to you that it is for our good it is for our joy ultimately it's for your glory so father we love you we praise you we ask all these things in Jesus name amen